Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with talented jazz pianist and vocalist Champion Fulton. She spent some time talking about her 2018 CD, The Stylings of Champion Fulton, her celebratory 10th album, a two-disc featuring 85-plus minutes of non-stop jazz. So she was born in Oklahoma and grew up with music in the home. Her father is jazz trumpeter and educator Stephen Fulton, and he is featured on her new album. She's a mainstay on the vibrant New York City jazz scene, and over the years she has performed with music royalty like Lou Donaldson, Frank West, Eric Alexander, Buster Williams, and even Lewis Hayes. She has grand insights and great stories, so please get to know her and dig this interview, my friends. So first of all, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. And as always, thank you very much for sending over the music. I always love it. Love having you on the show. Thank you. And I want to talk about I want to talk about your life and jazz, but I at first and foremost I want to talk about your tenth album here, which is eighty five plus minutes of total absolute jazz, the stylings of Champion Fulton. Talk to me about this release. I'm so excited about this record because for one thing, number ten sort of feels like a milestone. But also just it's really nice to have my band back together. Um, the bassist, Hide Tanaka, the drummer, Sokuchi Tainaka, and Stephen Fulton on Flugelhorn. We've been playing together for a long time since I moved to New York. That was the band on my very first gig in 2004. It's nice to sort of come back to, um, to that, to those guys, to that configuration, and to see how far we've all come in such a long time. And it's just, it has a great feel. I couldn't cut any songs, which is why it's uh, two discs. <laughs> it's officially coming out uh, in a couple weeks. The official release date is October 26th, um, but the preview is on iTunes and uh, Spotify starting um, on October 12th. So you've been really steady in your career after 10 years of releasing materials and being very active, and I know you said you know, it's, it's big when you're doing this for 10 years. How do you view the, the evolution of your career up to this point? Do you take each release as an imprint in time? Do you view it as your growth? How do you see each of these that have led to the 10 years of you releasing albums? I think both things. You know, when I my first record came out, it's 2006 or 2007. We recorded it in 2006. It was really important to me to record something around age 21 because I had just moved into Manhattan and I really wanted to have sort of like, you know, this is my plane now, like this is me, I'm on the scene and this is where I am. And then I, I love recording and I love having that opportunity every year or every year or so to sort of check back in with my fans and with my listeners, my audience, and say, you know, here's a new record for you, and to see their reaction, and then to, it kind of gives me the momentum and the build-up to, to sort of keep going in this industry that is a little bit challenging at times. Talk to me about, you were born in Oklahoma, and you've made your way to New York, and I want to know... What was it about your childhood? I know you, you were born into a musical family, but what was it that got you specifically into jazz? Well, my father, Stephen Fulton, um, is a jazz musician. He's on the new album. Um, and his, you know, so that's what we had around the house. And his best friend, well, his best friend was Clark Terry. I loved the music 
right away, uh, just hearing it. I mean, I used to hear Clark play in person all the time, whether it was actually on a gig, you know, in a theater or something, but also at the house practicing, talking about music. And it was very infectious to me, you know, to hear him talk about the beginning of his career with the, you know, his dream to play with Duke Ellington, being on the road with Count Basie. I just thought it sounded like so much fun. <laughs> and I thought, I want to do that. You know, I want to have those experiences and be a part of this legacy of the music. You know, I saw that documentary about Clark with Justin Coughlin, and, and mm-hmm. I thought frequently about Clark because he comes up so much in the biographies and the lineages of this enormous jazz pond that we all are cognizant of and, and think about. And my question is this, what a prolific human being. Are we ever going to see anybody? I mean, the fact that you've got to be that close to him, I'm always blown away by how not only good he was on the bandstand, but how he was so nice. Like, he seemed like a nice mm-hmm. guy when he came off. He educated. And it just even with this documentary, you got to see kind of this culmination of a, of, a, of a wise old man at the end of his life that was really reflecting on all of these things that he did. And it had to be so enormous for him to even conceptualize at that point. I think, you know, Clark really wanted to, his hero and his, his idol was Duke Ellington. And so I think that kind of behavior, that kind of generous, you know, love of the music and and wanting to instill that love of the music in others was really, you know, a reflection sort of of how he saw Duke Ellington. Um, And I think in turn, I I think about that myself, and I think, wow, this is like Duke Ellington, but filtered through Clark Terry, you know, and that's, that's where I get my ideas. But yeah, he was, you know, absolutely devoted to uh, to the music and to the to making people love the music, support it, and I think it's amazing. Wherever I go in the world now, you know, traveling and touring, I always meet someone who says, "Oh yeah, I saw Clark," or "I I love this record," or you know that there are so many jazz fans out there that are impacted by his career and uh, by his legacy. So is there something extra special about the fact that your dad is on this celebration of a disc, this 10-year anniversary? I think so. I think for me it's a really, you know, I sort of a, just a culmination of, you know, working hard and reaching a milestone where I feel like I can, I can look back and I can be like, wow, okay, like this is, this is something like I, I've, uh, you know, it's nice to have a tangible ach- achievement. It's <laughs> something you can touch, you know, like, oh, this is number 10, you know, because uh, so much in our industry is is not tangible, you know. So it's nice to have that. And I, I love working with my father, working with Stephen. We have so much fun on the bandstand and on the road. And uh, without all of his work and support, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. So it's definitely special for me to have him on the album. As I can attest to being here in Kansas City in the Midwest, I would think making a jump to a major city like New York from Oklahoma would would have been a pretty big deal. Was there kind of a culture shock with you getting into that kind of world of New York? Not really, only because I came out here when I was 17. (laughs) And I think when you're you're 17, you're just very resilient. You feel... um, what am I, the word I'm searching for, like nothing, you know, nothing bad can happen. All your dreams can come true. 
you can do whatever you want. You know, I came to New York, and the first weekend I was here, I saw Frank West and Jimmy Cobb. And I walked right up to both of them. And, of course, Frank is also from Oklahoma, like me. So I was like, oh, you know, Frank, I'm from Oklahoma, and I just moved to New York. And, like, you know, let's be friends. And then, you know, I told Jimmy Cobb, like, yeah, let's play together. Like, I'm here to play with you, you know. And I think now I look back at the absurdity of it, and I, I, I laugh. But you know, they were so friendly and they were so supportive that I immediately felt, you know, right at home within the music in New York, anyway. And that's really what was important to me. So it wasn't so crazy, I think, because I was so young. Yeah, that you that resilience at that age for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, you've gone on to play with the likes of Luke Donaldson, you mentioned Frank West, Eric Alexander, Buster Williams, Lewis Hayes. What was it like when you got into that position of not only playing with legends like them, but to go and play at these hallowed institutions of jazz that you heard about your whole life? It was totally, um, you know, it was a wonderful feeling. I mean, I, one of the first clubs I went to was Birdland. I was excited to be in New York, and I was a young woman, and so I would talk to everyone, and I would tell them how excited I was to be in New York, and, you know. And at Birdland, I found a, a really nice, you know, support system. And Johnny, who's the owner, he was looking for uh, some new people to play during happy hour before the main act, like on Thursday from 6 to 8, um, and the, the band would start at 8.30. And... I had just moved to New York, like, weeks ago, and he was like, oh, well, great. Like, do you want to play here? Because I need somebody for Thursdays, and you can have this gig. And I was just, you know, I mean, shocked, but, of course, overjoyed. And that's how it felt with everything. I mean, the first time Lou Donaldson called me to play uh, a gig with him with Jazzmobile, and it was just a wonderful and surprising feeling. But, of course, I was just, happy, you know, that was what I wanted to be doing, and I had come to New York, and I was doing what I wanted to be doing, and I think there's no, you know, greater feeling than than that kind of satisfaction. Speaking of satisfaction, you've been recognized with awards throughout your career, and I don't want to know what the, your favorite award was, but I want to know, which award <laughs> did you get that surprised you the most, that you were like, I had no idea this was going to happen? I think uh, last year, I when I received the uh, Female Vocalist of the Year from Hot House. I was really surprised because that was um, it was a a reader's poll, as it were. And I always think those are the kinds of polls where you feel the most touched because that means the people who listen to you, you know, like your music enough to take a minute out of their day and do this, you know, and vote for you. That was really that was a very nice surprise. Let me ask you this. Up to this point in your career, this is a real retrospective album after 10 years. I want to mm-hmm. ask you, how do you feel about your career? Are you happy? I am. You know, I am. It certainly, I will say, it doesn't feel like it's been 10 years. It feels much quicker than that. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I've, I moved to New York in 2003, so I've been in New York uh, 15 years, and that does not seem to be the case. I am. You know, I love traveling and I love getting to play the kind of music that I want to play, and I love the support of my listeners, and I do feel happy, yeah. So why do you love jazz? I love jazz because it gives this feeling of of joy, 
and happiness. You know, as Art Blakey says, it washes away the dust of everyday life, and that is how it always has felt for me since I was a little girl. I could put on a Count Basie record, and I could think, yeah, this is this is living. This is why we are alive, and that's how I have always felt either, you know, listening, being in the audience of it, and then when I was able to be on stage doing it, it was even more of that feeling. So that's it for me. It's just the feeling good. So you've had the opportunity to see, you know, Clark Terry up front, which is in itself amazing. And you've been on the stage quite a bit. But, you know, on your journey as a musician, there's a lot of educational pinpoints from school to your own personal experience. But it's also just being in the crowd listening mm-hmm. to a show. Can you pinpoint a show or point out a few that really moved you that you remember that are jazz-oriented? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can tell you about um, one of my favorite piano players to listen to after I moved to New York was Cedar Walton. I just loved going to see Cedar. And, um, of course, I loved all the shows, but I remember there was this one show, and it was at the Ovidium here in New York, and it was raining, and I had come from a gig. I ran late, and when I got there, you know, I don't know if you know the Iridium, but there was not a lot of people there, which was pretty normal. So I just went right up to the very front, you know, sat, like, you know, feet from Cedar. It, they were just so cooking. It was him and Buster Williams and Jimmy Cobb, so it wasn't his usual trio. They played this arrangement of all the things you are, and I thought it was, like, amazing. You know, I was just flipping out. And this was before iPhones or so I, I didn't record, you know, I, I couldn't record shows or anything when I was there. Like I'm not making bootleg recordings, but I had this arrangement in my mind. I was like, oh, I love that arrangement. And I went home and I I tried to like recreate Cedar's arrangement, you know. And um, I thought, oh, I've done it. I've done it. Uh, and then of course the next time I saw him, he played it again and it was very different from the arrangement that had filtered through my mind. Um, but I just remember being so, that was a great night, and they were just so swinging, and it was such a pleasure to be there so close. I love seeing theater every time. Let's get kind of fictitious here a little bit. Let's say a jazz DeLorean mm-hmm. was to pull up in front of your house. You can mm-hmm. hop in, you put in the coordinates, you go wherever you want and see a show. Who are you going to see and where are you going? I want to see Count Basie in the 30s with Jimmy Rushing singing and Papa Joe Jones behind the drums, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, right um, on. I mean, that band is just so swinging. Well, and I mean, I think also being from Oklahoma and you're in Kansas City, there's something so particularly American and, like, about Count Basie somehow. I mean, when I get out there and I'm driving on I-40 or I-35, like, there's no other music that fits the soundtrack than Count Basie. (laughs) Yeah, this question was kind of born out of that notion. I've been down to 18 and Vine enough, and I see kind of these shelves of buildings that had all of this music, and Count was obviously a big part of the lore here, and I was like, if, you know, I could just go back in time, because, you know, Robert Altman came here and made Kansas City, and they actually did kind of doll the area up a little bit, and it looked oh, yeah. really good, and I was like, man, if I could just see one one night in Kansas City when all of that was just Paris of the Plains, hopping. I just don't even know what I would do, you know, so. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing, too, like, to, to think, of course, I love Charlie Parker, and I would also love to see him, but 
I love to think that as a young man, he also loved that Count Basie band. <laughs> to be yeah. Seen, you know, I mean, that's, that's how big of a deal that band was. I, mean, I just think that would be the best. Yeah, that's very seminal for sure. So everything is going to come down to this. My final question for you is this. Everyone has their idea, perception, notion, so to speak, of who they think you are. Your family, your friends, those that you work with, and but you're the one that's running your life. You know yourself best. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I think that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that question before. I think really and truly that I'm, you know, a, I think of myself as a pianist, and I think of my, you know, even though I love singing, you know, but I think I think of myself as a pianist, and I I think that's what I really am, what I really want to be is is a jazz pianist in the just in the legacy of the music. You know, I just want I I would hope at some point that it would be like, Oh yeah, we had you know, there's there's Art Tatum and there's Hank Jones and Bud Powell, you know, here's all the legacy of, of the pianist and then over here, uh, you know, yeah, there was Champion Fulton. You know, and that's really I bet maybe that's a dull answer because it, it seems very like there's not a lot of maybe humanity in there. I know a lot of people might say, oh, I'm a, a wife or a mother or something, but I, I just, I want to be in that. I want to be in that legacy of human beings that was committed to swinging on the piano. I think that, <laughs> I think that's exactly what you're doing. Champion, thank you for taking some time out for Neon Jazz. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Oklahoma, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Champion for her time, her music, and her stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store, visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Day. Neon Jazz.